Bing bong bing. Bing bong bing. Bing. I should bong. learn. A, I should learn the uh, John Cena uh, Bing chilling, just so I could like knock you out with. Uh, <laughs> I could knock you out with like six out of ten Mandarin. Jesus, that would be impressive. I'm not gonna lie, it would be impressive, but also like. <laughs> me and my friend Iris, uh, me and my friend Iris, who's half Chinese, we keep joking about the idea of Chinese duckling. Uh, okay. okay. Because it's Declan. Declan has a uh, has a uh, aged and learned learned wisdom to him, not oh. dissimilar to like Chinese philosophers. So Confucian scholar Declan. Yeah. Yes, white Confucius. Wow. Um, or white Chinese Confucius needs or, to be the name of a hip hop song like immediately. White Confucius or Chinese Declan. Yeah. <laughs> it's two roads diverged to the yellow wood <laughs> and i picked the one less swagful oh jesus yeah but but no no i need that the, the post malone song that's instead of white iverson white confucius i'm pretty yeah. post, it's a post malone would play a card in magic the gathering called white confucius yeah Kyrie Irving would write black confucius and it would be a hit on like <laughs> black confucius <laughs> We would we would reach levels of posting heretofore unseen. <laughs> you better well, we this better to, be the intro post- to this fucking. Sorry, the the the, the podcast that's not going to be an insignificant amount about like Orientalism. <laughs> it's I promise it's not. I promise it's not. No, um, no, no, no. I mean there are things to say. Whatever. No, um, it's oh man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Welcome to another episode of Hot Singles. I am your host, Alexis, known as Regression, and I am joined by Boo Cannon. Hi! Oh, it's a delight every time. Um, we've got a special episode. We've got a fucking amazing episode because we decided to do a, a, a naughty, evil thing, which is talk about another dude's career and the dude is Ryuichi Sakamoto, and that's a bad idea because he's written so much fucking music and... Ah. Perhaps the biggest, most careerist, most dudist dude of all time. Yeah, when we take dude as like guy or dude as gender neutral term, we really do mean like an entity, a mm-hmm. creature on their own right. My boy was a themselves. wayfarer. It's yeah. there is there is not a. Uh, there's not a medium he did not carve out some idiosyncratic path for himself. And then, like, the ripples of which uh, would create entire communities within them. It's He was like, he was building, it's like, he was making trenches that Coral would build in. So we gotta fucking talk about this guy, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, I I got abstract us there too bozo. early. No, 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 us fucking bozos. No, abstract is good. I like abstract. No, 
But uh, yeah, we we got to try and um, navigate our way through the thing, and we have a playlist. The playlist will be in the vi- in the uh, podcast description, in the video description. I've been listening to too many YouTubers, clearly. <laughs> um, Make sure to like, rate, you subscribe, guys. It's Batman Forty Seven coming at you live with another <laughs> Ryuichi Sakamoto tutorial. Right. So what you're gonna want to do is you're gonna want to go at your Spotify page, and I'm I gotta kill this. This is. Terrible. You do, but also I was not going to make you kill it because I want <laughs> you to hang yourself by your own petard I, and or noose or whatever. I do feel like a lot of hot saying, sorry, listeners, we'll get to the thing you actually wanted to listen for in about 45 it, minutes. We've been, um, we've been talking fast. It's not been very long, I promise. Yes. Um, it's, we've, uh, it's, it's, Alexis, you will just let me go until I will, like, catch myself and go, like, does that make any sense? And you'll go, like, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, we are starting with uh, Thousand Knives, correct? We are, we are starting with one of the, like, the pop tracks of all time. So all um, right. I'm going to hit play a Discord join session, whatever where it was going to be. But yeah. Uh, right. Let's go. Yeah. Three, two, one. Dink. Yo, 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 yo. We're literally starting with Mao Zedong. Like, we're starting with. Okay. In the intro, I said, like, Richie Sakamoto's at least early career is a lot about Orientalism because mm-hmm. he is a Japanese composer working in a group and in a solo context that's, like, very much about the reception of, you know, East Asian and culture mm-hmm. and art and music. Um, but he has his own, like, weird particular cultural fascinations, one of which apparently at this point in his life was the poetry of Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. So we just get the vocoder section to start with, which. Uh, there are going to be so many moments where I just like wait for a chord to drop in and like we have a like a, oh, my God, that harmony, that songwriting. As bon Iver like heard it's... this and was like, yo, I should make this, but way worse. <laughs> I like 22 million. Sorry, Justin, if you're listening. As we know, uh, Justin Bunnan, um incredible contributor to the Patreon. It's I I can't I brought I brought I comma I that one time because it's I it's I linked up with him. It's like you you we we've all met each other a couple times, and uh, ooh never mind. Hang on, I was stalling. Yeah. Ooh, first I was Mao, now I'm stalling. We're slipping already. Um, yeah, Thousand Knives is a nine and a half minute song. We're gonna listen to the whole fucking thing. Yeah, because it deserves the whole fucking thing. Oh, if you guys, um, it's you guys are probably, but you have probably already seen the runtime for this, and it's like, no way, right? And I'm saying way. Yeah, it's we. I it's we anticipate a lot of just like, chilly. Oh. Uh, sorry, I got distracted by. Uh, <laughs> you got distracted by. Melody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am gonna be. It's it's gonna be a lot of silence and me going like, oh, like I'm a Kremlin in Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> uh, we're in the Pancho Kazooie here. Just oh. like waypoints. Like, there, there's so much to talk about. Let me see if I can like get some like thoughts out. Richie Sakamoto started off his career as a um, classical pianist and composition student um, in Japan. 
And like, in the background, before he like gets his massive breaks with this solo record and the Yellow Magic Orchestra stuff, he's doing a lot of like avant-garde stuff. He's doing a lot of jazz stuff. He's doing a lot of modern classical and he's doing a lot of playing. He's doing a lot of classical playing and always cites Debussy and um, like many different uh, like romantic piano composers as like his like lodestar. Oh, hang on, those atonal. It's there. There's a lot of classical playing, but I also do like that this this song is like a love letter to Noodlin. Yeah, it's good. Just but, I let mean, it that I, shit so go. I mean, the, the, all the all these like beautiful diminished structures and these like sliding like pl like planing diminished chords. Like this is straight out of like. Debussy, like in all mm -hmm. honesty, like I hear this and I hear like the romantic piano stuff just like bleeding out. But on top of that, you've got like recreations of like East Asian like folk instruments in FM synthesis mm -hmm. and these like bibble bobble, um, you know, like it's you you're, you're hearing in your right like, ear now, like something like so, like a very traditional piece, but it's it, it's because like the the world of fm synthesis has like superseded the classical it just sounds like a phone notification <laughs> oh but then yeah this guitar solo's tone floors me every single time it's also one of the most like lyrically beautiful guitar solos i know of it's th this tone is responsible for like a jillion uh like video game composers just a jet like, th this birthed like a thousand of them yeah. Oh. <sighs> Did Sakamoto and Prince ever play together? I feel like that would be fucking Good. tight. Wow. As far as I know, no. But yeah. Oh, that part, that part. Oh, it's when it's it's just like falling down there. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Kazumi Watanabe who played the solo. Um, yeah, like legendary working like jazz and fusion guitarist in Japan. Um, oh! Get that Van Halen in there, young man. Yeah. And just lets it lift off that like horribly <laughs> sickly bend as it goes into the like woozy section. And yeah beautiful bridge oh. um but yeah like it's putting on the table a lot of the stuff that like marks out his early career like the big romantic piano songwriting the like very weird sometimes uncanny sometimes very cheesy sometimes really remarkable sound design it's, we just we just got past that bum, 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 bum. yeah uh, part that sounds like some scooby-doo shit but it's fire <laughs> Yeah, and like I can hear like what pitch envelope shape is happening on the like bootless synth. I'm I don't know it's a bootless synth. Making shit up to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Oh, but, like, that's fine. You know, just like you can hear like I know what the like the pitch envelope would be if you were playing on a cut or whatever, and I can recreate that in an analog synth. And that's somehow being like a guiding principle for all the like weird textual exploration that happens and it's for all Among our friends others. for all our friends who can't read instructions to yamaha synths uh it's uh the the little doo-doo 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 
uh, has come back. If you want to just sit with me in this little space here. <laughs> I don't know why this, it, it's, it's Sakamoto's like, yeah, put that shit on right pan and just let it rock. Set it off its fucking leash. <laughs> I'm just egg in this because I've listened to the solo so much. Second solo. It's, I always get the image that like it's uh like he's like like for for solos like this especially like this one like he's like a bucking like his left uh left hand it looks like a fucking Tommy gun firing just like <laughs> oh. yeah there is something incredible about Ooh. how virtuous it this is balanced with how like very melodic and tuneful it is. It's, and this, is this, like, this still this still sounds like the future. Yeah. This is the bit for me. Yeah. It's it's uh it's Alexis. I love how at heart you are you are a uh, you are a shonen OP head because that that's the oh most like God. fucking uh oh. But again, it's, it's really melodramatic. Like this is the thing it's, that like marks so out cool. so much of his shit. And like, obviously, this is written by an incredible guitarist. And like, it might even be a, one of the holes in Ryuichi's like, like capacities. Like his melodies are often cheesy. They're often like bridging on pastiche. Mm -hmm. And like, just a moment where you get this like full-throated melodramatic, like nuts on the table. Yeah, like everything on the table guitar solo like that is just like i could not ask for a better compliment to what he is doing for nine and a half absolutely minutes. it's uh we're getting but abducted like, right now we're we're flying away yeah. but yeah this is like okay but to actually say what the track is it's the title track of his debut album it's a solo album put out as a sort of like early exploration of the, the kinds of um electronic music that he was making mm -hmm. um and very quickly and now after this, we go even further back in time. Oh, <laughs> uh, we go back in time to uh, uh, about six months later, <laughs> <laughs> um, when Richie joins up with Haromi Hosono and um, Yukio Takahashi, and um, puts together one of the great electronic groups of all time. I was gonna say it's this little band called uh, YMO, Yellow Magic yeah. Orchestra. There are so many bits where we could like pick out exactly what each member is doing. Like there are some clearly um, Hosono tracks. There are, you know, like moments where each of the members shine out to do the songwriting, all that sort of thing. Um, but just like, it's really interesting to try and figure out like, there's nothing unique or specific about like what a Ryuichi Sakamoto version of a YMO track is. But like Behind the Mask, which is like one of the big famous ones, really definitely is a, uh, a Ryuichi track, as opposed to like, Raiden happens to be a Takahashi track. Like, mm -hmm. there are some of the like, <laughs> I don't know, like, again, it's hanging in the background. Like, Hosono's big start and like the, the reason he got YMO together was to cover um, 
as sort of like American exotica artist who was making Japanese style like world cap, capital W world music. And like that's the, like what Americans specifically, or at least the West, thinks Jap Japan sounds like is like mm -hmm. definitely coloring every artistic decision that's being made. Yes, but at the core is like at the core is just like impeccable songwriting impulses. And uh, like, I I did want to say it's we. Yeah. Uh, I think this is our only stop on. No, we have another one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's but it's i wanted to mention this because this is a uh, it's i am i am mostly familiar with saka before i you know dived in fully uh, i was only familiar with sakamoto's relationship to the periphery in video games and a fun Ooh. fact i want to give out is uh uh it's four namco composers that's uh uh, Nobu, uh nobiyoshi sano shinji hosoe uh takayuki aihara and uh hiroto sasaki they formed a parody band of YMO called Oriental Magnetic Yellow, uh, producing parody cover versions of, uh, like, they, they did six albums uh, that were just parodies of uh, YMO records. It's, uh, it's, we're on, uh, we're on Solid State Survivor, so this one was Sonic Skate Surveyor. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, a bit on the nose, but I, I love it, yeah. It's... No, it's uh, Nobushi Sano uh, did the soundtrack for Dragon Guard One. Uh, did some stuff for Tekken. Lots of Beatmania and Groove Coaster stuff. Uh, just so funny that it's that that's also a feather in uh, like all those guys' caps. And I just wanted to mention that because I've never heard anyone talk about that. Like I've that's I've, I've sat through hundreds of talks about like YMO and Sakamoto. But I've never heard anybody no one knows about fucking mention <laughs> OMY, and they're they're the fucking shit. Also, there's but, I mean you can hear it in the yeah. I mean you can hear like it is pastichable because it is so close to the stuff it's ripping off already. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like this makes Waimo one of the biggest groups in Japan, one of the like most like culturally important groups in the world at this point. Um, Solar State Survivor is great. I think for me, my personal like beloved album of theirs is Naughty Boys. I would have to agree. Naughty Boys, I think, is my favorite um, from theirs as well. It's 1983. It's like grown up slightly. It's still fucking hilarious. Like, if you just if you want to pause the podcast and just watch the best music video of all time, go watch the Kimi ni Muniki video because like you're never gonna get a video better than that like no one <laughs> wants to be actually in front of those cameras doing the things they're doing um but they are and you get to see them which is great um this is um ongaku which is just translates very literally to music but again like this is like fully in my mind you get this like full minute that we just got to the end of of like sequences transposing like in um chromatic sequence and then like shifting upper upper forth like very very deliberate like long extended gushing romantic songwriting and then slams into the like four five chord um pop chord sequence and it's like right next to each other the verses 20 seconds i love that sorry and i love that little like uh it's they, they, it's, they like borrowed like one third of Neil Peart's drum kit there to get like the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just, 
just have a, a little like summary. Oh, we're done with that now. <laughs> oh. And it's like it's you hear um, like oh like it's they're so kitschy, but like it's you could totally see how they just like dig into people's brains. Yeah. Like it's this like this lead is every option screen in like every game for like the next ten years after this. Ah, it's so fire. And like, yeah, it's straight out of like, all of them are incredible songwriters, but this like, real love of like, fucking indulgent romanticism in the songwriting. This is all Ryuji Takamata. This is like, the thing he does. You don't get it as much. Like, the best bits of YMO like, balance everything they're all doing. But like, my favorite bits are often the moments where like, you know, um, what's the... Expected Ways, track number two on this record, which I think is my favorite track in their whole discography. That's a Takahashi track, and it is just like so much tighter and so much more about the groove and so much less like fucking <laughs> on one with the harmony. Mm -hmm. um, but just like the sensibility and making this sensibility normal and a part of the way that everyone does songwriting. This is on Ryuchi Sakamoto's shoulders. All these little beautiful little like Weird, weirdly synthesized counter melodies. Oh, fucking gorgeous. But like, yeah, okay, Ryuichi Sakamoto was a third of the biggest band, not in the world, but like the biggest band in Japan and like one of the most important in the world. And that is two tracks on a 21 track playlist that we put together. Go Just listen to, like, to a bunch of other YMO stuff. Just, uh, it's, can, uh, stick a pin in anything and you'll get a top one hit. We come so back. So the thing that happens is, yeah. To the land the thing of that happens Solo. Is, <laughs> the thing that happens is, Ryuichi Sakamoto, like, has an entire career that spawned, not just off the back of um, all the YMO success, but, like, he's developing new collaborative relationships, new aesthetic sensibilities all the time. And um, one of the, like, fun, amazing bridge moments in my mind is this one here, which is off the album... Uh, Jesus, I've read this album name so many times and just, like, get to it and it's stalled again. Um, Hitarayude no Yume. Yeah, cool. Um, it's barely got a British... Uh, British? It's barely got Western releases. It's been on re-release and um, stuff for the last couple of years. This is my favourite track of the album. And like you can see with the the visuals on the um on the cover, like could we do have a quick cover for this album? Yeah, sure. You can see the album. Up. Um, my, my boy on his Bowie shit, very clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's awesome. It's so co I would love just like a full uh, sleeve of this just to hang up. Uh, I don't know how much uh, Sakamoto vinyls go for. Uh, I mean, it, it should go without saying that Rishi Sakamoto is an absolutely beautiful man. Like, yeah, oh my, he's so fucking hot. Like, <laughs> dawn to dusk, that man. Oh my god. If he if he said, I would like to, I would say, you name a time and place. That's that that feels sacrilegious to say, but it's find me somebody Jesus, that won't no. agree with me. No, my god. Like, I I've had pinups of this man 
for years, like on my own pinboards, like That's, for a reason. I'll, I'll have more to say I, about how, when, when we get to Sweet Revenge, uh, I'll talk about how hot I, uh, just true, truly irresistible this band is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all of which is to loop back to you, like, he's clearly like found new wave. Like, mm -hmm. the, um, the like grooves have stopped being so relentlessly pop. They've like relaxed and loosened up a bit. Um, the instrumentation has like regained some of the um, uh, the acoustic instrumentation, <laughs> and yeah, like the like funk is there. The kind of like very upright, almost awkward, like white person funk. <laughs> but like th this screams to me like British New Wave of the early '80s. And like given whose collaborators were at this point, like that makes perfect sense. I just think it's a really fascinating example on its own terms. It's just an incredible song. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I love this. It's almost like looming. Like, yeah, it's so slinky. Uh. The baseline, yeah. It's to me, this is all about one of those like tracks that doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, and like just relies on a really slinky, cool baseline to like mm -hmm. keep it moving. It's, uh, and then you just get into those big like shanty choruses, and they're like, oh wait, hang mm -hmm. on, we've been like heading heading to exactly here. It's, I love, I love this era of, uh, you know, like, Japanese songwriting. It's, uh, Jun Tagawa has, like, 800,000 songs that sound also just like this. Where there's, like, it's, uh, like, there's, uh, there's, like, ceremonial percussion, but lots of, like, FM synth stuff. It's, it, it's kitschy, but it's also super alluring. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, that fucking brass there. Yeah, it's the, 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 the like big piano arpeggio runs as well, just like bursting through the thing. Like, it, it's starting to get a sense of theatricality. Like, it's no mistake that the, the like very stuck like graphic makeup stuff is like going along with this like ever more progressively like composed like aesthetic in the music. Like, it just feels very like like finely postured. I like love this mode of working for him. And it's one I mean he comes back to all the time. Like I think like as soon as he arrives on it in the early eighties, like he never leaves this instinct to like be a beautifully constructed to make beautifully constructed pop. Mm-hmm. But like it's often not as well, it's not often with himself as the only like face of it. And this is so clearly about him as a pop artist, which is great. Yeah, the song is a long fade out. Mm-hmm. Look, we love it. Yeah, my God. Um, I guess it's time for the, like, you're here for a reason. Um, <laughs> um, he kind of wrote some of the most iconic, like, you know, popular film music ever. And uh, it sort of starts here. I come to you as a poser because the first uh -huh. time I listened to Sakamoto was when somebody asked Frank Ocean if he could write any song that had already been written, what would he have picked? Mm -hmm. And he picked Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to let this fade in like all classy like. You fool. I can be in post. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. I keep all this in, honestly. <laughs> Oh my, like, dude. Uh, so I come to you as a poser. 
I've tried to watch this film before and I got like a couple minutes in. I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> it's Yell Not Rockin' with Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I don't even think it's because it's a bad film or I'm uncomfortable watch or anything. It's just like the film is about Ryuichi Sakamoto as a Japanese like military captain in charge of a prisoner of war camp when mm-hmm. David Bowie plays a British prisoner in the camp with many other actors and personal dramas and storylines. But centrally, like, you know, Richie Sakamoto plays this, like, absolutely divinely beautiful, incredible stickler for rules who is, like, utterly emotionally destroyed by the kind of, like, overlord prisoner intimacy that David Bowie, who was another obviously gorgeous and, like, you know, queer sex icon, mm-hmm. just sort of, like, in- engenders in him over time. Mm-hmm. Um, can I can I, I say something? Can I can I give yeah. a hot take? Yeah. Uh, in this movie, in part, I haven't seen Last Emperor or anything else Sakamoto's in. I don't think he can really act. No. Uh, it's it it's kind of awesome how little I, he can act. Um, so I mean, like his job is to like not act, is to look stern and then like emotionally collapse. It's, his second. his job like, is to blow up at people. Um, yeah. I gotta watch Last Emperor though. Yeah. All of which is to say that like, this is an incredible theme. Like, again, absolutely playing off the like, pull and push between intense familiarity and like, sweeping emotionality and like, Orientalist pastiche. Mm-hmm. But like, tugs those heartstrings so forcefully. Uh, um, just, just on a very basic structural level, the like, it's, uh, it's in the sort of, like, thump, like, throbbing. I was gonna say thumping. It's throbbing. The throbbing string <laughs> uh, section. It's the string. It's there's there's the piano collections version of this, which I feel like is um, kitsch for 2010s Japan. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Where it's it's uh it's it's just as like in front of the score. Uh, as uh, as the original song, but it's like it's you could put it in front of like much more contemporary imagery in like movies, and it'd make more sense. This I think is like still. Uh, first of all, I love that string arrangement. I want to be very clear. I, this is yes. this is the wilder, more idiosyncratic choice. Uh, and it's Absolutely. I and I mean it, it could only really be like a mid '80s. Like this is allowed to simultaneously sound like the future and also. Like a Hollywood film score from the forties. Mm-hmm. I would just say on a songwriting level, like the like opening part of the motif is all pentatonic until you get the at the end of the sentence sentence phrase, which is the only bit that like introduces the um um uh, the like minus the the, the the second in the the minor scale, which isn't part of the minor pentatonic. Like, it leans into pastiche all the way until it's got this like beautiful arcing phrase to like return you into the emotions. Like, like it is, it is so calculated. Oh, it's just these fucking strings, it's so good. Yeah, this is so calculated and so beautiful, and is writing so many cultural lines simultaneously. It's a stunning feat of engineering. But as you said, 
a feature of Ryuichi Sakamoto's career is that he produces many different versions of pretty much everything he writes. Everything's mm -hmm. a thing that can be uh, brought back in new arrangements and for different purposes. And something that happened on the back of the success and in promotion for the film, um, he hooked up with his eternal man crush and best bud, David Sylvian, frontman of the pop group Japan, British pop group called Japan. And incredible so solo cool. artists in his own right. Yeah. Um, uh, and produced a like pop single version of Merry Christmas Lift, Mr. Lawrence, to which mm -hmm. David Sylvian wrote the um, melody and lyrics for called Forbidden Colors. It's, well, um, obviously near... ripping off the, obviously riffing off the Yuki Mishima novel. Mm -hmm. While I'm here, just like, wanted to give a quick shout out to Tin Drum. Love that album. Oh my God. The entire fucking Japan catalog is incredible. It's so cool. Like, it's uh, Tin Drum is the first one I listened to. So I was like, oh baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gentlemen, what? Gentlemen, uh, take Polaroids. Also incredible. David Sylvian's voice, incredible. Um, the first piece of music I ever showed to another person was a cover that I made of Ghosts. Just leave that for, for people. It's, send me that. It's, I would love to hear you sing this. As well. That's from like 2008. I'm not sure I'm ready to do. That. Oh, well, let's re-record it then. Let's let it happen. Hmm. But yeah, um, you will have heard the like free time intro and we've landed at the arrangement now, which is all in um, piano and very like open roomy mic drums. Mm -hmm. Incredible top line. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna dare attempt to like belt this out because I could and I don't want to because <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Oh, whatever. Um, Girl, if you don't sing that shit right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I just feel with the horror of this version. I've got this on 7 inch. Like, I fucking love David Sylvian as an artist. Like, This the way he sort of like like leans onto arouse there's a lyric and it's um, like yeah. that part as well just like it like goes down and then it goes up and then it goes a little down and then it goes up like the strings yeah. like smash that shit this is an incredibly gay pop song and is like lent into so fucking beautifully um but like gets the kind of melodrama that the the film version was aiming for oh. but with like a different sense of like openness it's not not nearly claustrophobic and like enveloping and like thick it's just different arrangements but like each with a very subtly different emotional like, tenor i'll go walking in circles while doubting the very ground Questioning faith in everything. Here am I, a lifetime away from you. 
Girl, we need to go to karaoke. You fucking yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god, this song. Fucking fire. So like... It's the same song, completely different emotional character. Uh, like... It's got a top line for a pop audience, but like... Still one of the most like, gut-cuddlingly gay. <laughs> and like, yeah. Like, beautiful top lines you're gonna find out there. Ah, yeah, this song fucking melts me. Shout out David Sylvian. It's a shout out to straight gay people. Yes. Oh! <laughs> With that, it's I just <laughs> that that noise I just made looks like fucking Slimer on my spectrograph. <laughs> oh my god. Hey, uh, is 1996 the greatest album ever made? <sighs> Jesus. Yeah? So, do you, tell me about 1996, because it's a fucking incredible record, yeah. Honestly, I don't think there's much to tell. Um, it's, it's Sakamoto at his, like, it's... It's it's bunch of string and piano arrangements mostly. Um, it uh fucking it the the it's I feel like I say emotional resonance on hot singles a lot, but that is that's that is why I love music. Um, hmm. It's being able to carry um, that like strong, almost overwhelming force. Uh, and capturing it in a in a single song. 1996, I think, brings up. I, I mean, a lot of it is uh, like older arrangements of Sakamoto stuff. I think it's is is all of it like older like arrangements. No, I think there were a couple new tracks on here. Uh, some of the stuff was like new things that he hadn't done before arranged for the record. There's one or two new compositions, but quite a lot of his old stuff. Yeah. There's there's something to say about like the uh, contemporary dressing up of like the original like noodly um, kitschy arrangements that Sakamoto had originally written into this. Um, like these are heartbreaking like the th like this song is just like meteor coming down to earth in slow motion yeah Bibo no Azora is like clearly one of the most famous sorry I should have said yes this is Bibo no Azora yeah. uh, like immensely famous like I probably heard this in Babel before I ever knew who Ryuichi Sakamoto was like it's been all over the place like it has the like cadence and austerity of something incredibly heartbreakingly beautiful, as well as like winding paths that it just wanders down. Like, I think what's so amazing about this particular arrangement is the um, the evenness of the string arrangement almost fools you into thinking that it's not going places. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, just like, okay, the arpeggios just opened up two octaves and we've moved entirely into this like, Major, major harmonic space.
Here's the one. Yeah! Oh my god. There are very few composers who can do these kinds of moments and, like, no sell them so hard that they just, like, blow you away. There are moments in Steve Reich's catalogue. I've been listening to a lot of Steve Reich in the last little while. And, like, he often does the thing where he unprepared... He does unprepared modulations to just, like, succeed through sheer force of, like, you know... Oh. Don't let any film... Sorry. Just don't let any film, um... Uh, uh, like, film editor or, um... Anyone who's doing placement for music tell you that this bit of the song doesn't exist. It very much fucking does. They're not putting this in their soundtrack, but it's here. It's here, it's important, it's here. But yeah, like, there are so many moments where he just, like, sticks landings that you shouldn't be able to land because the emotional locks are just perfect. I think, yeah, I think about a lot of the moments where, you'd, like, in Steve Reich's catalogue, where he hard modulates in the middle of, like, highly repetitious sections because, like, he just needs to just shift gear. And there are moments like that's in Bubba No Owls on it. They're quite frequent, actually, in 1996 as an album because, like, he's only working with three players. Um, like, just shout out to Jacques Morel and Bum and Everton Nelson, who are the other players on this record. Mm -hmm. Like, just fucking killing it. Um, but yeah. Oh, that. Oh, that lift. Oh, such, such a fucking easy lift. Like, like, you gotta be kidding me, dog. <laughs> so good. And, like, after the strings took their turn to do their sort of, like, atonal, like, explorations away from the key center, the strings are holding it down while the piano is just starting to, like, wander around. an element of danger now <laughs> well i mean it ends in this place of like irresolution having started off so like open and wide and clean it ends up like holding on itself so yeah the song itself tells a very different story from a lot of its like film score uses because it has a narrative built into it that just like doesn't exist in the snippet of the first 30 seconds mm -hmm. that like will stick in people's minds but hey, if you um you wanted a way to recontextualize people know I was on a <laughs> This is the best moment in the whole podcast. It's right now. It's here. Uh with the album Smoochie, Ryuichi Sakamoto asks, How gay do you want it? I'm headbagging! 
Ah. Yeah, you didn't think this was Bibbo No Alzora. It's Bibbo No Alzora, but like the the down tempo like electronica version. You didn't know you it's, needed this, uh, but you did. It's uh, <laughs> the 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 white people trip hop coalition just uh, just stood up. Let's fucking go. Get the get those fucking Silent Hill three breaks in there. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, like this is a this is an era, a moment, and vibe that I am fucking in love with. It's it's perfect. It's perfect. I have nothing more to say about it than like this song has so many multiple lives, but this is one of the most remarkable it could possibly have, and it has all the grace. And the same incredible there's, top line. There's the string. Like, oh man. The fucking dub siren. I was just gonna say oh, it. Like a dee -dee -dee -dee. The delay line thing. Oh my god. Everything stylistically about this like screams mid '90s in the best way. Mm -hmm. Like. It's just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm lacking things to say just because, like, you've just heard people know hours on it, like, one of the more, like, remarkable and famous pieces of, like, you know, film school music of the modern era, and something that, like, is a kind of a statement for him as a composer. And you're not meant to have the flexibility to turn it into this. Like, chill, like, chill out tracks, like, uh, electronica tracks, aren't meant to have this range. It's fucking modulation from nowhere. Like, Jamiroquai tracks are tighter than this. This is a problem. <laughs> this is weird. Dang, if they ever work together... <laughs> that'd be fire. I guess it's we got some M-Flow I mean, songs that sound like that. Yeah, no, this is, this is, that's exactly the vibe. That's what we got instead. It's <laughs> this fucking transition right here. <laughs> it's uh, they just it's yeah. a Parappa the Rapper two shit back into these strings like oh my god yeah. Th this this another track that just fucking fools me every time. There's this track should not work. <laughs> And not only does it work, it's incredibly graceful with it. <laughs> like, okay, to be clear, like, what have we listened to in the last, like, five years or so that is, like, pulling from this? Like, not this specifically, but, like, there's a whole wave of, like, George Clanton and DOS, like, going back to 90s electronica and, to some degree, trip-hop, but more specifically, like, say, there's the, some, like... Uh, there's some uh, DDS songs that yeah. uh, just got this flow to them. Although it's uh, tech would uh, tech would just throw some like crazy muse uh, arpeggios over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, oh, this is a kind of sound and aesthetic that screams like yupping. It screams like over sophisticate of the mid nineties. It's like, a executive it, uh, executive on the Sega board of directors. Exactly. And 
like it like it screams 90s Japan cool but this is like in a way that a lot of the things that we're referring back to in the music that's like getting handed around at right now are like deliberately on the more kitsch and more like plasticky end of that or CFCF another point like it's going to places that are like supposedly the least retrievable because they're you know lacking in depth they're shallow they're like fake as fuck <laughs> and instead what we got back is fine Ryuichi Sakamoto was making that music but making the most like lush extraordinarily like capacious like sorry I love that I love that little jazz boom, 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 boom. yeah just needed to point that one out sorry continue yeah no no I mean that's it that's it just like <laughs> did you need to did you need someone to tell you that Ryuichi Sakamoto was making like the best version of lounge music in the mid-90s. Like you didn't need to know that, but you, you do now. No, and you I'm do. glad you do. You're because welcome. I've been listening to it for the past month and freaking the fuck out. Another like <sighs> long enough fade out. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> I'd love the little the the fucking up scat that like Hide to the end of that. Okay, now. Do you want to start this with the cover watch? Yeah, uh. <laughs> Where to begin? Uh, the. It's. I would have to, like, talk about everything released for the Sweet Revenge era. Um. These are. These are some of the best cover arts in the world. Uh, it's. Like, it's. Sakamoto was on that, uh, like. That was on like that 2000 2001 kick in 1994 like let's talk about that like he's got the it's he's got the helvetica in like various optical line weights lined up here uh the photography looks fantastic uh it's all the press photos for sweet revenge is sakamoto like wrapped up in i don't know i don't know who i don't know who designed it but uh like it's it's like these beautiful like monocolor primary color like blanket coat fluff things. It's it's so it's lurid kinda. It's you're like whoa what's going on here? Um, it totally um, fits the whole the album. The Wikipedia page gives the photography credit to Jean Baptiste Mondino, who has done stuff for Bowie and Sting and Madonna and Bjork. So, that you know. absolutely makes sense. Um. Oh man, it's we got uh, we got Holly Johnson here. This is love and hate. Uh, I think probably it's. I don't want to say it's my favorite, but I do think it, it's the most emblematic of Sweet Revenge, where it is. Yeah. It's just like gesturing with like arms like eight thousand kilometers wide. It's just yelling unity with like forty five exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. Um, Holly and oh, Holly and the Johnson. Yeah, not quite. Um, Holly Johnson is the front man of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um, and yeah, you're like you're exactly right. It's full of this like wide open peace, love, unity. Like I haven't really figured out a politics, but I don't like it when bad things happen. <laughs> and, and honestly, uh, it's Mr. Sakamoto. I think that's all we need. I think. Look, that's all so, you like, need, man. It's, you you let this yeah. shit cook. He goes other places in the rest of his career, and like it's much yes. more studied and careful when he does. But like at this stage, it's just like fucking this is, exploding this, out. Yes, this is perfect for that like 
um, second summer of love that was happening in the late 90s for like total plur stuff. Uh, and like this is just a club track. It's so sick. Yeah. D using the most up to date. Oh, so this fucking line. <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Say it ain't so. Those things aren't hip. Those aren't. Those aren't hip. Those are right, hip. Holly Johnson. It's not hip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm just overdubbing like the main vocals. It's Love. so awesome. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so much. I love this so much. <laughs> so cool. He's so cool. But yeah, this is where the sense of like big romantic melodrama songwriting, I'm not gonna say gets him into trouble, but like it's it's really hard to take this seriously, not with the, the hindsight of like, oh, we tried the peace and love strategy and got got us like miserable neoliberalism for that year. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's hard not to see this is like somehow lacking, but what this is so full of is just like the the raw emotion thing, and that's just like flowing out this record in every corner. It's so fun. I think oh, the, the fucking this album is getting nerdy and technical though. Like this is a thing. Like his production, Richie Sakamoto's production, is like getting more and more in the like super technical, super electronic. Like obviously it's always been there, but it's updating and staying a couple of years ahead of where the rest of the rest of pop music is. And like he's continued to going to sound like he's continually going to sound like the future forever. But like. What we've got now is the like cyberpunky early internet shit going on, including the wobbly, also fan voices going, um, like, you know, your TV is evil and it's coming for you, um, while sounding like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I just gotta put a bunch of like, uh, trance impacts on this, and then I got the hottest new edit of the summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Bye, Holly. See you, Holly. Change of speed. Um, for many years of his career at this point, Richie Sakamoto was married to Akikoyano, who is one of the most like um, important and legendary like jazz and also like avant-garde pop uh, musicians in Japan in this period. They were married for a long time, for 24 years. Um, they are. Uh, Worked a lot together. Akukoyano has like featured pretty much all the YMO members and a lot of Ryuichi Sakamoto, and a lot of just like the, the popping out with basically interesting people in jazz and like the more like you know exploratory composed end of pop music throughout her career. So I just really wanted a, a place to say like, okay, what does it sound like when Ryuichi Sakamoto is trying to put someone else on center stage? And, you know, you can hear his synths, you can hear his piano playing in this. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's... yeah, this, to me, 
I was just gonna say, when was this? This would have been 93, so they were together at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's a fucking gorgeous track. Yeah. It's... Also, it's, I just want to say, uh, Akiko Yano, she's a cutie. I, I love her so much. Oh. She's so cool. Uh, there's like a bunch of pictures of her hanging out with uh, Ryuichi and David Bowie. I don't know why that kills me so weird. She's like, that's grand, baby. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why I made David Bowie sound like Austin Powers. Oh, incredible. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, like, the, you can hear the sort of, like, tightening up all the, like, strapping into the synth work to just, like, fit in with a very different mode of storytelling. Like, I mean, this is what I associate with Akukoyano, is this, like, incredible sense of, like, pop narrative. Like, I think about other people really good at this, like, Johnny Mitchell and... Johnny Watch! <laughs> Um, and Johnny and uh, fucking Joanna Newsom, like obviously because I've been listening to them a bunch, like they're first to come to mind. I think a lot of people go to Kate Bush, but like there's a sense of just overflowing, like, yeah, narrative. Like, this is the thing. They like all of her work has a sense of personality to it that is like so rare from singers, and like she's so fucking schooled in like storytelling with vocals. Um, yeah, they have a kid together. Um, Richie Sakamoto and Akiyano's kids, Miyu Sakamoto, um, is a vocaloid, as well as a <laughs> really good performer in her own right. Mm -hmm. um, but just, if you want to go, like, like, go find the, like, I think it's genuinely cat girl vocaloid that's Akiyano and um, Richie Sakamoto's kids. Like, you can just go do that to think you can. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. This 90s era, like, again, like, there's a risk of it sounding sophisticated. There's a risk of it sounding yuppie as hell. Like, this should soundtrack the shoulder massage that a serial killer slash Wall Street exec gets. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just too vital. They've all got far too many ideas, and they're far too good ideas <laughs> to just be reduced to that kind of flimsy bullshit. Mm hmm. But it's uh, odd, so... That that turnaround, I, every time I hear it, it's one it of those, like, weather report-y, like, like, using all the fusion tricks to, like, find elements of grace and, like, extension and anticipation, where a worse pop track would just, like, cut it blunt at 16 bars and, like, leave you really fucking miserable with it. <laughs> That drum fill is like a fucking entire bar. That's so awesome. Oh my god. It's that turnaround. And the second half of the track is that, that, that little like writing turnaround just like gets me every fucking time. Feels like Wayne Short could have written it, but yeah. Um, so yeah, but when I found out what this next track is, I screamed at you on a voice call. Can you please explain what the fuck is going on here? Uh, so, uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, uh, it's at this point, um, very obviously like a fixture in Japanese compositional music. 
and it's uh i we couldn't i i wanted to i wanted to blow you away it's i wanted to see if i could uh get uh the dreamcast uh opening like noise like the power on noise because he did that <laughs> um oh my god but uh fortunately i'm putting it in post yes i'm putting it in post um Sakamoto was asked to do the soundtrack for uh, Love Dilic's Dreamcast title, LOL Lack of Love. Uh, and it's, I can't really explain the game in a way that I feel would be satisfying. It's, 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 it's an evil, it's a, it's a life sim game. Uh, it's, it's kind of like if Spore, uh, had swag. Is. Nice sort of how I would describe it. Um, it's, you're controlling a, uh, like a, like a little guy on an alien planet during a ro like a robot terraforming the whole shit. And you got to establish, uh, symbiotic relationships within them. And it's basically your entire goal of the game is to stay alive. It's, it's not janky or unintuitive. It's it's uh, there's honestly like elements of replayability to it, uh, but it's it's a love to lick game, so it's it's total. It love to lick made a uh, moon, uh, and then they uh, they did uh, tulip. That core team went on to do tulip as well, uh, and it's uh, they were named for uh, fucking uh, uh, how much. Uh, Kenichi Nishi, the creator of it, loved Technodelic, as in Love Delic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I love this because it's, it's Sakamoto, uh, like, a combination. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's Sakamoto at his, uh, at, like, it's a, it's a really straightforward combination of that, like, stirring emotion and also, like, literally, like, video game sound font. Yeah. Uh, oh. You can hear the repeat in the the high string like. Yes, it's, it goes like wee, wee, tiny sample. Now it's just the opening theme. Like it a lot. Incredible. Just the fact that this exists. He's the most has written a Dreamcast soundtrack guy you could possibly imagine. It's, my boy, is just, like, he's just doing his own thing. He was just in the back room chief in that hoe. He was just... Like, it could not have been a PlayStation game. It had to have been a... Had Dreamcast to have been a Dreamcast game. game. <sighs> hey, what's, uh, what's David Sylvian up to? <sighs> the bromance is rekindled. It's rekindled many times. What happened here? Okay. Lost its so suddenly we're in the year 2004. We've dispensed with the nonsense of the 90s. The, dream the Dreamcast is dead. <laughs> and suddenly the anxieties are a lot more real. His hair is gray. The, um, the microbeats are tinier and sharper the sun comes and the critique is like honed slightly and 
David Sylvian hooks up with Richie Sakamoto again on the album Chasm to make the ultimate subjectification in the era of ecological crisis anthem while Citizen I won't be disappointed and you can just like you can hear the leaps the production has taken in like five, six, seven, eight years Mm -hmm. and the anxiety and the like texture that comes with it is like incredible and I mean this is a different thing that people are like the post YCK microbeatsy stuff Um, this is obviously another big touchstone for the music that we love and care about Um, but again it's not just that it's making this kind of music it's that this album and this track in particular is the platform for like a much more subtle much more carefully observed and really fucking scary like story about like being a guy in the like collapse of our ecosystem um yeah 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 this is a track that again like makes me like not my like knocks me the fuck back when I like actually concentrate on it the lonely in the state emergency and then this this first where it starts like spooling up slightly. I want to feel beautiful spacious re-space line. Like it's filling up the bottom end. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't give. I want to break the indifference of the days. I want a conscience that will keep me. Uh, also, sorry, it's. I feel like it's. We keep uh, not saying the names of the songs. Uh, yeah, this well, is. And I won't be disappointed. Again, another track that has multiple versions. This is the loop piano. Version. World Citizen. I won't be disappointed. Looped piano. Like it's. Who oh else God, is on yeah. this fucking level? Yeah. Uh, it's because World Citizen comes back in a sort of edit version at the end of the record. Mm-hmm. But yes, like. A face I didn't know. A uh, Chasm Fire Album as well. You're not going to believe yeah. this. This Ryuichi Sakamoto guy has a couple of uh, bangers under his belt. Yeah, he, d- he did alright for himself. When least expected, there she is. Gone the time and space that separates us. And then, yeah, the final verse is the one that like is the biggest gut punch. Um, but yeah, like having gone from the guy who threatens to soundtrack the yuppie invasion of culture, he's writing the like searing indictment of like globalist like environment squishing. She's like if Ridley Scott's like last movies were good. Yeah, my god. This one, yeah. Declan is going to be very upset with me for saying that. Hit him on the head with a chair or something. It's fine. I want to pronounce all their names correctly. Ironic, given my inability to do that to start the podcast. Um, yeah, like, there's something incredibly, like, brutal 
about like knowing that you are just a guy stuck in traffic jams in the engine that's killing the planet and knowing that all you can do is like give witness to the process um yeah it's an incredibly defeated track like i think about the other like ecological anthems they're like climate change bangers and they come in many different forms in many different shapes um, and this is one of the, the few that like captures the psychology of it in a way that feels really truthful and really compelling to me and like obviously I think David Silver is a fucking incredible performer but the like hanging isolation and anxiety and the micro like production stuff going on here no kick drums no like structure and organization beyond just like the looming threat of like big beefy bass lines yeah incredible track love it so much oh my god yeah best bromance of music ever mm-hmm well close uh mm. it's well it's uh we we got uh we got two saucy boys coming right up and Sakamoto was right next door and was like, hey, mind if I uh, throw something down? <laughs> I think, officially, this is the first time we're covering the same track on Hot Singles twice. I think so. Well, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> we did that with, uh, we just did that like three times did that with in this episode. Merry Christmas is the Lawrence and for Across episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, if you have not listened to uh, our, uh, what is it, Astromantic, uh, Odd, and Memoryland episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was some of the most fun I've ever had. Just listening to music in general. Uh, and I love this. This song makes me so happy. It's a fucking body. Just... It's just mash that shit. This moment, every time we get that, I completely fucking forget it's that. Whether, like, modulates to something completely unrelated and bubbly, wobbly, absolute noises. Like, I, incredible. I love the insistence on using, like, uh, uh, like, monosyllabic, uh, like sounds to like chop into like mflow's rap verses uh, yeah you, you're not hearing a fucking normal ass voice on here that's not allowed if you want fucking crap for the rapper ass beat <laughs> they should put uh they, they, they're gonna make a new parappa they should put mflow and parappa the rapper they should. Uh, that might be like that might be like two on the nose. If you had Parappa rapping to this, everyone's life would be better. That'd be like uh, that'd be the like the through the fire and flames of Parappa. Exactly. Yeah. Hitting like twelve button combos. It's, this to this do actually the, does the sound like this actually does sound like when you uh, when you uh, when you rap in cool and you could just freestyle. Drum and bass. Yeah, Alexis, do you want to come over and play Parappa? I would love to do that. Cool. Let me check flights. Oh, 
fucking bouncing in my seat. Give it a little shuffle. Uh, can I uh, can I spill the beans about something uh, regarding our uh, our episode with Bell? Absolutely. That was the second time. I, was, I actually did we talk about this on that episode? I think we sort of gestured towards it in the opening conversation, but we didn't like say it outright. No, it's a. Uh... It's all love to Bell. Uh, Bell, if you happen to listen to this, of course, all love. We'd love to have you back on again. Um, it's when uh, when we finished recording, we were like, oh, yeah, that was such a good time. That was so good. Yeah, Bell, if you want to get in uh, that audio to us, that'd be sick. And Bell's like, wait, were you guys not recording my audio? <laughs> and it's, we, we were all just like, oh, no. <laughs> And it was a long one as well. That it was, was like a two and a half one. It was that a good. Was a it, was a, it was. It was so good. It was an awesome. And time. the recording, the re-recording, obviously gave us chances to like reassess. Yeah, like, like a punch up our stuff, stuff. It up, add more stuff in. Like it's always yeah. good. But like, no, it's. <laughs> that's. I just. I think about that often. I just go. Uh... Audio is plastic. You can do whatever you like with it. Mm-hmm. It's true. Record something to begin with. Uh, also, if you've not gone back to listen to that episode, just secondary plug. Just go listen to that. That that one was so much fun. Go listen to Mflow as well. It's go listen to Mflow. Go listen to CFCF. We mentioned twice in this podcast already. Yes. And listen to Shiny. They got a new record out. It's not as good as their older stuff, but it's pretty good. Get well soon on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sorry, so it's, yeah, we, did, it's, uh, could you repeat that? I didn't hear you. I thought you wanted another but, version of Thousand Knives in our playlist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Jesus. Um, <laughs> he keeps revisiting old tracks. This is all the way now in 2005, I think. Yeah. Um, where he takes another big set of famous tracks from his discography and reorganizes them, rearranges them for mostly piano, sometimes duo piano, and this is mostly duo piano and just like clapping percussions. I love the intro because it's got this bizarre, um, like metric transpers, uh, like what would it be? Uh, metric displacement thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where you expect the thing to be like a, a three against two polyrhythm, but like on the beat, but it's just displaced a semi-quaver so that it never sounds like it's settled. You hear it more clearly later in the track. But yeah, like, you remember what Thousand Knives sounded like? It was a banger. It was also nine minutes. This is not nearly as indulgent, but like, the same sense of grandeur, the same sense of grace. It's, uh, it's Office a chord progression. little, uh, little um, like wooden bowl tapping noise in the right ear of Thousand Knives Gang. It's I want you to take particular note. It's we that is notoriously absent from uh, from this version. Instead, I feel like that role is just being filled like that. Doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, is being played by like the uh, it's it's like a skipping percussion. Yeah, just like, um, this is like, just like really nicely synced up claps. It'd be so funny if the multi-track for the guitar solo just got like pasted in here. Oh my god. That'd be kind of fire. <laughs> oh my word. 
jazz solo with like a jazz guitar solo would not go amiss on this version. But yeah, the sort of like segue into sort of almost a rumba arrangement. But yeah, you get to hear it now with the um is it this moment here. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck is happening with those parallel falls up top? Because they don't sound where they should in the bar. There is a normal way to do this and you did not choose it. Um, just pulled it apart just enough so that you're like, always like anticipating its movement, its progression onwards. And instead of the guitar solo, we just get this like, like really airy, like transparent noodle on a synth. noodle like coming down but it's it's so much more like rehearsed on the piano it's so awesome yeah i mean he just knows exactly what the song is about the voice leading on this section is just like the songwriting is carrying the whole thing. Oh my god. Just every new arrangement like reveals something new about the song. Originally it was, you know, a pop banger in like you know, the like in vogue electronic style, a platform for like insane guitar licks. And like, you know, a fucking driving force. Whereas this is like just a study in the voice leading of the songwriting itself. And the kind of vitality you can get out of, you know, the minimal moving parts. This like highly repetitious, syncopated polyrhythm part. completely repetitious clap and just like what is this song and it's cool and those piano chords hasn't lost the cheese no it's i was just it's this is such this is such a happy little romp just oh man between the two plays, between the two pianos. it's gonna go off in the club but like it's got a, like a funk and a groove to it but like yeah <laughs> it's, it's DJ playing tracks the in the club that got me scratching my chin thoughtfully <laughs> uh, it's it's so like honest about what it's trying to do with the piece 
and it's so successful with it. <sighs> yeah, okay. Long fade-outs, um, long moments of dead air here. Oh, we love it. Hey, any of you losers listening, here's a frickin' Avanoto. Do not adjust your transmission. This is what this shit really sounds like. Avanoto, incredible, like, glitch electronic artist, like, working in long-form, like, ambient, like, vocabularies. Had a series of collaborations with Sakamoto through the um, 2000s and the uh, early 2010s as well, maybe? Yep. Um, of which some included collaborations with a classical ensemble of this, which is an example. Uh, this is Broken Line 1 from UTP. I gotta say, um, it's... I I always found it weird that Alvin... Alvin Odo is not actually dude's name. It's uh, Karsten Nikolai, which is already such a raw artist name. I don't... I've, it's <laughs> Just because you're not fucking German, okay? <laughs> it's, Nikolai is such a cool fucking name. Like, it's just... Go by that, dude. I know, look, oh. it's... Uh, I know you're listening right now, so... <laughs> that that it that joke will never get old. It's eventually we're gonna have somebody who like how actually fucking listens in. And that it's uh boy won't I feel stupid. Eh, no, um right. Alvinoto and Sakamoto's stuff is where I really started re-examining ambient music. Uh we we have a song mm. coming up that I think I would describe as um probably like one of the most important songs I've ever listened to yeah but oh man but yeah like just on its own terms this track right here like you can hear the background some of it is ambient like very very slow subtly shifting sine wavy like woozy goodness but you can hear the soft, like, um, what is the technique called? Like, very, very fast, soft bowing from the strings in the background, just setting part of the, the bass line. Mm-hmm. Where piano and synth and string parts start, like, following, leeching to each other in these, like, long, sustained notes together. Yeah. Um, this aesthetic, like... That I think the artwork's beautiful for all of these collaborations. These like big geometric block pro, uh, uh, visuals. Uh, for for our listeners at home, if you have not listened to uh, UTP, I want you to picture. Uh, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture a white square, and then you put like a lemon lime android green yellow kind of one in the bottom left corner, and then you put a soft gray one in the bottom right corner. You got it. There you go. It's a bit of text, but who fucking cares about that? That's yeah. Fuck information. <laughs> it's, we really should have just done the voice version of this podcast where you just played some tracks and said go listen to them. Um, <laughs> fuck information. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, this is an era of like Hakamoto's career where he's doing a lot of collaboration with ambient musicians. He's got projects with Fenets as well, which are also amazing. Like truly, truly spectacular. Um, but just like 
finding all the little nooks and crannies that you can like drag out like texture and interest out of the like you know very very like taut specific like carved to a like a sinew like vocabulary that, uh, like you know ensemble that they've got together and this is one of the more interesting ones and again it's quite hard to like say okay here's an ambient records uh we're gonna talk over the like like three and a half minutes of just like entirely consistent noise and hope it's, communication yeah it's alexis about. what was your favorite sequence of uh two beeps in a row mine was the 482nd exactly but it's i i think um, the 78th one really has something to it as well but yeah. it's no. when they play that it's this fucking it's when they suddenly play the minus seven that long sustained note a uh, mm -hmm. minute three and a half that was the one that like really did it for me <laughs> But yeah, this this whole project is just fucking great. Um, they go in many different directions with it. Sumus is a like another highlight, but again, doesn't have quite the same kind of like expansive ensemble associated with it. So it's like you know, slightly harder to maybe like blast straight into from the outside. But yeah, throughout their collaborations, they like keep yeah keep refining how small they can make the sound palette, how precise and directed and how much you can still get out these like, gorgeous expansive soundscapes out of it or indeed as they're doing utp like ringing like conversation out of the anxious tiny gremlin noises mm -hmm. and the acoustic ensemble they've got to hand This fucking goes. It's gonna annoy me. What is the? I used to do this. I used to play this instrument. So why is it? Why is it escape my head? Uh, string instrument technique. Uh, so yeah, take it away on this one. So, uh, okay. This is, <laughs> I feel it's, I'm all, whenever I talk on hot singles, I'm always worried that there's somebody who just like hate listens specifically to hear me be like, be extremely wrong and lumpen about everything. <laughs> uh, no, 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 but no, you're so proletarian. You're not lumpen. No <laughs> girl. I'm dumb as shit. Um, no, uh, Revenant soundtrack, uh, it's, okay, I watched the Revenant on an airplane, uh, uh -huh. when I was, like, 17, and I was, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have always, oh, sorry, just those, it's it's yep. playing the uh the we're we're listening to Killing Hawk right now, the scene where they kill Hawk. Um uh, this is another Ryuichi and Alvinoto banger. And 
this this is so obviously like founded in electronic music but it's it's being played with such like uh, it's the the score of the song is just like the three notes of the revenant theme and then a big swell and like some really scary pads in the back uh, I gotta pause on every one of those swells because they're they just cut yeah yeah fucking slams uh and it's it it made me realize like it's like they made a they made a they made like maybe like one of the most perfect standalone ambient albums ever made with this yeah uh it's I have I could not tell you anything that happens in the actual Revenant movie I was on an eight hour <laughs> flight out of Quebec uh but I'm this to leave it. and then this shit the kill shot uh no it's uh and it's I remember being like it's like I want to make music but like th this was right before Jawbreaker my first album and I was like dang what kind of music do I want to make and this was the song where I was like, I gotta make fucking ambient music. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I, it's, I do feel like the Revenant soundtrack, like it's, I don't think you get Malibu without the Revenant soundtrack, honestly. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And uh, everybody loves the shit out of her, so I'm right. Ha ha ha. Um, you don't get the um, the entire vibe of the the um, pan uh, mononoaware like compilation. Mm -hmm. Yep. Without fucking Ryuichi. People like Ryuichi. People like Albanota. People like Fenets. Like the like long the long soldiers of the like ambient doldrums of the mid two thousands, making actually the coolest shit in the world. Mm -hmm. It's it's just emotion. It's just emotion. It's so cool. We got another uh, long. Dead air moment here as the pads as wind themselves I down. I can use the dead air to fill in the. It is tremolo. It is just tremolo. It and is. I'm confused because I'm dealing with tremolo, like pedals and other instruments. Like, no. Mm -hmm. The, like, quick bowing technique is tremolo. And what we got a bit of the, like, tappy wood noises on strings is con, uh, coleno with a, with a wood of the bow. Let's go. Hazy Maze Cave from Super Mario 64. Yes! Oh my god, this is one of my favorite releases of his that just sort of like kind of stands alone in it. I say stands alone. It takes shit in all sorts of weird different directions. Esperanto from 2015. This is a carved stone. Like, this is in an era where everyone's getting obsessed with like ballistics and sound design with like. How do impacts work? How we recreate them? What are materials like? Like, there's a whole school of sound design that's born out of like modeling and um, like, you know, the like managing dynamics in a really precise way. Mm -hmm. And like, the whole genres are born out of this attention to the like ballistics of sound. Mm -hmm. And this is just like a guy who's so schooled in just experimenting that he lands on a completely remarkable, like really fucking addictive <laughs> to me at least like this is one of those tracks that just like scratches the, 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 the like fuzzy bits in the back of my head every time I hear it but yeah like just lands on that without 
I don't know, some programmatic way of landing, of, des of like designing new sounds, but just like looking for sounds that give him the same tickle in the back of his head. And lands on this like bizarre, like tubby resonant, like, like burst. Like I feel like it's something very hollow that's resonating on the inside, like slightly further away from me. And you obviously get the like ceramic noises um, like bouncing around the stereo field afterwards. But yeah, like clearly this is a song built around like finding something addictive out of the same sound that's making, that seems so addictive to me. Yeah. I just find this a sense of ease like because he is not the kind of composer who works in like I mean clearly he's done a lot of work before like DAWs he's done a lot of work in the era of like long scale composition he's done a lot of work in the like like classical comp composing mode and he's done a lot of work that's time extended in ways that aren't organized just by pop form or just by repeated units. So I, I just find the structures to his ambient work so compelling because they feel at a very human scale. Like he often doesn't run stuff for more than, you know, I mean, this is one of the longer tracks that I happen to pick out. But yeah, like everything develops at an incredibly like manageable pace. And like, okay, sometimes the, there's something really impressive and beautiful about tracks that are like, <laughs> I'm gonna say stressful in the, in scale, stressful in um, the kind of attention of what they force you to do. Um, and just something about Rishi Sakamoto's work just feels like intensely human scaled, intensely like... Uh, yeah. I can, you can imagine much in the same way as I can imagine like people doing arrangements, standing over a mixing desk, like dragging faders until it feels right to them in the moment feels very much just like arrangement happening in this like progressive naturalistic way sorry i had to uh retire for a quick second uh something just happened outside this shit sound like some stones Ooh. <laughs> it does fucking sound like some stones that's some of my favorite stones they really are some of my favorite stones. It's, um, I, uh, I was going to a work party, uh, yesterday, as of the day we're recording this, probably like a week from when you guys are listening to it. Um, and it's, I was listening to this just like seeing if I could get any like last minute notes. And it's when I listened to this, I, I nearly fell asleep on the train. And it's not, not out of, not out of boredom, but just like totally and completely in the zone it's just it's it brings like my resting heart rate down like 10 beats per minute i'm just like yeah i was saying like structure wise like he feels like a composer that keeps everything very much to like human scales and human forms mm -hmm. like the other note stuff does stress that a bit like it's different when he's working with someone who's like very dedicated to these like automatic and like 
you know, like, autonomic processes. Whereas his own songwriting feels very much like a guy who's like, you know what would be good right now is if we did this. And then he goes and does it. And everything keeps evolving at this incredibly natural pace, this like incredibly human-centered scale and like with an ear for like, what does my ear want right now? Just like pushes on like that. Like, I didn't know when there was some sort of like systematic development leading up to like this piano part, which is genuinely quite a gorgeous piano part. I didn't realize when the melodic stuff was starting in here, but it did. I wouldn't really notice. It just sort mm -hmm. of like entered at a moment where it felt natural for it to enter and it will leave again. why I decided the oh yeah guy voice was the important one to do there. <laughs> I, I deeply apologize. Yeah, I did happen to pick an, another eight minute track. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but hey, you get to fucking listen to it. It's a fucking gorgeous track. I picked my faves. We picked our faves too. It's true. They just happen to be incredibly antagonistic to someone attempting to listen to a podcast. <laughs> I do. There is there is sort of a comedy in uh, like it's make, making a podcast about it's because we've hit the uh, late era of Ryuichi stuff at this point where it's just the space in between um, like gesturings or notes gets longer and longer and longer. Yeah. Um, which is um, hilariously, I think it's you need to focus on that silence, and it's also extremely uh, non-conducive to podcast yeah. recording. Just to, it's, yeah. imagine if it's imagine if over like some of my ambient albums, you just hear like me going like yeah, yeah. Oh, but wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. There we go. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I mean, on a basic level, we've trained ourselves over like almost, in my case, at least 50 episodes <laughs> to like measure out like what silence is acceptable and not acceptable and mm -hmm. either have things to jump in with or studious ways of like timing out like edit space and things like that. Like, nah, now nah, we're just vibing. We just had an eight and a half minute track that you needed to hear all of because it is that beautiful. Bizarre ceramic stone sounds. Yeah, cool. Okay. Okay, this is... Yeah, this is a fucking moment too, right? Mm-hmm. So... At some point in the... What was it, like, mid-2010s? Rishi Sakamoto got diagnosed with cancer. And... Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. Yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood? Some afternoon that's so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it. Perhaps four or five times more, perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 
20, and yet it all seems limitless. Yeah, what fucking timing. <laughs> On a basic level, the last, like, five to eight years of his career when, like, acknowledgement that everything that he was going to put out was going to be interpreted at the very least, mm -hmm. but also, like, you know, listened to and thought through with the acknowledgement of, like, his impending death, like, fully in mind. And that clearly also contours, like, the things that he was writing and the things he was writing about. And, yeah, one of the sort of, like, big statement pieces of that, which, I don't know, I don't know if you get the same vibe, it feels like I want to put out one last really powerfully, like, large summative statement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you get the same vibe of Async. No, I, I, like, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, so Async is a 2017 record. It's big, it's full of a lot of the things that marked out the previous parts of his career, but specifically the like ambient and classical oriented parts of his career, but like reintroduced a lot of the synth work in really interesting ways. Um, but laced together with a lot more narrative, much more explicit stuff like acknowledging his own mortality, but like placing his aspirations for what art and music and the life in general are about and for like into the music itself <laughs> and yeah i think a lot of people like returned to ruchi in 2017 when this album came out because like oh great it's another big long format album from someone who's like got this massive reputation and basically got a big sign pointing to the rest of his catalogue being like, oh, if you want the bit of me that's not mediated by this like crushing anxiety about mortality, like go there. This is about dealing with something very specific and very personal. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still a beautiful record. It is. But like, I, I wanted to yeah. speak about this one specifically. It's that first voice we hear is uh, Paul Bowles, uh, who Sakamoto yeah. was doing an adaptation of. And by the time Async had come out, he had already passed away. Um, and it's uh, like he asked him if he could, uh, like, he asked the estate if they could, like, use the voice. And it's he started adding, like, a bunch of languages. It's the same meaning, but it's, it's ten different sounds revolving around the same core idea. And that is, that's, that's gorgeous. You just feel the same, like, pacing and grace to the songwriting, but within a completely different tone, given the, like, firing of voices mm -hmm. around. And I mean, like, I just keep getting hung up on it, but like, tiny little composition decisions that, like, added ninth on that last chord just opens it up and, like, gives that kind of, I don't know about sourness, it's like mm -hmm. a brightness, like a sharpness. 
watching. It's really wonderful to feel when someone has like absolutely been an instrumental part of your own like harmonic sensibility. And I, every time I go back to this stuff, it's yeah, I listen to this album a hell of a lot. I can feel bits where it's like imparted stuff into me. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it's such an important record, we kind of wanted two tracks from it. So this is Azure, Z-U-R-E, also facing. And yeah, like, it turns out he couldn't tell his own story without there being an immense amount of just like really lush synth work in there as well. Like there are moments smacked through, uh, throughout Async, some which are like really bold and brassy. Think about Andata, think about Solari. Think about Life Life. Like just running through the rest of the album in my head. But yeah, this this like quivering spaciness is still backed up by like an intense love of like what it sounds like when you like drive some sword with uh, like saw waves into a like a filter into an overdrive and like get this like warm like wave like rushing over. Mm -hmm. And I think you just get bits of a lot of the, a lot of the waypoints we've been talking about all the way through. Mm-hmm. The, the last couple, yeah, go for it. Go for no, it. I was just gonna say it's uh, like it's, it's you're you're speaking of waypoints. It's, <laughs> I I think that is such a like it's that that's a good way to describe um like Sakamoto's like devotion to again like the spaces in between that stuff like it's punctuating like spots on like a map somewhere with them yeah if that makes any sense yeah like he's mapped out so many different parts of his like vocabulary of different releases in different moments in his career and each of them deserve attention in different moments and like this track just does that over its arc it like mm -hmm. moves from the like the thick lush gorgeous like saw synths until right now we've got something that's like held together almost 
barely held sorry ba barely held together by that like reverbed like tone in the background mm -hmm. but like fundamentally it's like it feels like there are analog noises it feels like there are like resonant like clanging objects together here but they're like flying in and out through this like auto pan like chopped up like glitched like they're flying in electronically expressing their like analog their like material content and like getting ripped apart digitally mm -hmm. like this is a kind of like tension and dialogue that has been in his whole career and you can see it happening on so many different scales over the structure of a track over the structure of individual sounds over the structure of the like interstitial spaces between the organizing units of you know sections of the track like he's been playing in all of these registers and you get in async i think summations of like all of the different ideas he's been playing with like put together with like still the sense of like play and experimentation at their heart but like knowing exactly what like, what he's been working on for so mm -hmm. long like all that craft Your piano's not meant to break like that. Mm-mm. So yeah, now we get to the, the bit of the podcast where we, we're just like fucking miserable for the last two tracks. Um, <laughs> the last couple of releases he put out were solo piano releases. This is playing the piano like dated to a date in late 2020 and released uh, in 2021. December 12th, 2020. There we go. Yeah, I can read dates. I, I saw a sequence of ones and twos and got terrified of actually trying to parse it with my actual brain. Um, again, replaying bits from whole, all different stretches of his career. There are bits from right at the start of his career. Um, like, you know, see Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence on here. As well as stuff from very, very recently. Um, and that has got a piano arrangement on here. But this is all solo piano and just like strung out and given all the possible space it could. You also get the sense that his playing is slowing up, like his his body's tick rate, mm -hmm. like slowing up. And like if there's one thing he's always been capable of doing, it's incredibly expressive romantic piano playing and all of a sudden we're faced with the problem of like this beautiful gorgeous expanse is like tempered by the knowledge of like why are we getting this version now it's because he's not going to be alive for much longer mm -hmm. but you still get to put it up against the version that was on 96. Even you get put up against the version of Smoochie if you really want to. Mm hmm. But each time he comes back to the same piece of music, it's a way of like checking in on how he relates to it, how he relates to the story he wants to tell his audience with it.
find it very uncanny when you listen to this again because every single time I do I find myself projecting like what is his body like mm-hmm. like how's he relating to his instrument now it's a very weird thing to be concentrating on like sometimes it's a thing that happens with particular performers I honestly I think at this point Sakamoto is just happy to have the piano I think yeah I don't think that he has I it's not about not caring about his previous body of work because none of what he does here uh, is you know like burns anything down or is even radical enough to burn anything down um it's just it's just a man playing the piano I think I it's uh, a man in solace with some things he has made That's what I think, anyway. I find myself like constantly listening, like the next track, it's a lot more obvious how and why, but like I find myself listening to versions like this. Like, are your harmonic decisions contoured by like ease or stress? Is the way that your like finger hit that note contoured by the ease or stress that it has or that it produces After all, we are just hearing his song and him playing it. The final album he released is called 12. It was released in 2013. And it is just 12 dated piano songs. I think the thing that strikes everyone immediately is just the amount of breathing noises you hear. Mm-hmm. Like it's quite clear that he's physically unwell or physically ailing as he's recording these. It picks up his breathing and in the plane. I still think these. This is. It's one of my favorite albums of this year. Mm-hmm. And like, I look. Yeah. Cards on the table, not a dry eye, not a dry eye in the house right now. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I this is this is this is staying on any uh, any any list. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to fucking put it in the rat race to know it's a beautiful, beautiful project. Mm-hmm. It's just the the choices along the way are like. These drones. Like we we keep talking about this like both the the like analog digital like interrelation. The acoustic digital relation. Mm-hmm. But also like the use of interstitial space. Like this is an album where like 
the interstitial space is filled with his breathing. It's filled with him. It's filled with his movement. Like, it's not to say it's an overwhelmingly full or stuffy album, but like there are lines of continuity that are awkward, stressful, um, revealing, like naked in some ways. I have no idea how it must feel like to put out a project in full acknowledgement of what it tells the world about you. Mm-hmm. But like, he's also making artistic choices that like lean into that, like express that in all of its pain and all of its, you know, complete ambivalence. Like, both the passionate, like, adoration of the beautiful things and also like full horror and maybe, maybe disgust? I don't know. There are lots of different colors it can bring out. Mm-hmm. But the like awkward off-tuned sign tones. Yeah. Something as simple as that makes and what evidences a lot of very specific and pointed artistic choices. That's all album does. very strange and almost guilty way it's an album that makes me think like virtuosity is not the thing that makes the most beautiful things beautiful that's beautiful <laughs> that gives me a reason to keep playing the piano
<sighs> yeah, it's the longest, hopefully, uninterrupted bit of silence you're going to get on Hot Singles. Um, but yeah. It goes uh, almost without saying. Uh, music uh, is, until the very end, one of the, the most important thing in Sakamoto's life. Um, it's, he was an environmental activist, uh, an artist, uh, actor, director, writer, but it's, <laughs> they, um, Sakamoto's estate, um, with, with blessing from his family, put out the playlist that he himself, uh, curated and compiled to play at his own funeral, uh, which it's a fucking great playlist too. Like, it's so good. It's like it's first of all so fucking gangster. Um it's and it's it's got, you know, Debussy, it's got Nino Rota, it's got Bach. Uh there's uh there's some Alvinoto in here as well. Uh Satie. Uh there's a Laurel Halo song to close it out. It's beautiful. It's Alexis, if you could link that in the descriptions as well, yeah, absolutely that will. would be awesome. Uh, just fantastic accompaniment to this man and the life that he was able to lead. Oh my God, dude. The goat. I'll say it. He was the goat. Yeah. <sighs> All right, let's shake it off. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's yeah it's a fucking remarkable career and we've like skimmed over the surface of it in 21 tracks in two hours like mm -hmm. there's so much else going on that you can go dig into yourself every single album has like so many other corners for you to fall in love with like we played one track from 1996 we played one track from two of the ymo albums like mm -hmm. one track from some of the solo projects like there is so much to dig into. Just go find your little corner of his career to like fall in love with. Like, if it's, you know, A's electropop, great. If it's beautiful classical composition from, you know, uh, like the film score era, great. If it's Alvin Noto, Fenech collab stuff, great. If it's 90s cheese, like uh, pop stuff, great. Like there is something for you here. Hopefully you found something to fall in love with. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, what a, what a fucking guy! What a dude. Um, we'll sort out picks for next episodes in chats ourselves. We haven't finalized them, mm -hmm. but thank you for listening. This has been a very fun, kind of emotionally draining, but beautiful episode of Hot Singles. That's, thank you so I, much, I'm dude. I'm happy with it. Thank you guys for listening. Love you lots. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you next episode. Mm-hmm.